Yeah, it's such good news, right? Good news we all need. We all come with a bunch of messes in our hearts and our lives, and we show up, and yet God says because of Christ, there is now, today, on this day, no condemnation, uh, but that we've been restored and that we can learn a new way. And God wants us to learn a new way. He wants us to flourish. He wants to uh, give us good, a good life, a full life, abundant life, as the scriptures say. So we're going to lean in there. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to me to Matthew chapter 6 as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking today at verses 5 through 15. Uh, for me, as a father in a house with four kids that are 11 through 18, it means we've got a lot of little thumbs moving on a lot of different devices, and they're always going, and there's always a problem, it seems like, with one of the devices in the house. So from somewhere in some other part of the house, one of the kids is screaming, can I reset the Wi-Fi? Can I, you know, the streaming's not working, I can't get this to happen, and we're trying to figure out all those things. And my kids have learned, though, that I'm going to have a question the first time they walk in with a problem that's any kind of digital device, the first thing I'm going to say to them is, have you rebooted yet? Have you restarted your device? Because there's a fact of life that technology sometimes gets disconnected for some mysterious universal question that none of us can solve. And I don't know exactly why that is or how to fix it. I just know that sometimes you have to go back to the beginning, start it over, and let everything reboot so that those connections come back together. Now, why do I say all that today? Because I don't think it's just a technological problem. I think sometimes that's a spiritual problem we have too. That sometimes we need a reboot, we need a restart, we need to recalibrate our hearts and get ourselves back in connection with the Lord. That something in life has happened that's caused some kind of a disconnection spiritually, and we need to hit reset and say, and I need to restart. I need to lean in here and somehow reconnect with the Lord. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is what, how do is, is that we do that? And Jesus is going to be teaching here on prayer. It's going to be actually the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we sang some about that just a little bit ago, but we're going to look at Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer, but also some, some wrong teaching about, or teaching about wrong ways to pray. But here's what I want you to see today. That there's no better way to refocus, to restart, to recalibrate your life than through prayer that is God-centered and that's God-trusting. Prayer that's, that's centered on God and uh, real prayer and a real Father who's in heaven. I would go so far as to say that the only ever ready path to reconnect with the Lord is through prayer. And he's always there, and he's always waiting. And so uh, we're going to look in, lean in here today and see what Jesus says about prayer. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start reading in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they may, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the teaching of our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is uh, in the middle of a section uh, that really gives three examples of wrong ways to, to approach the spiritual life and then right ways to approach the spiritual life. And last week we looked at kind of a wrong approach to giving. And this week we're going to look at prayer. Next week we're going to look at fasting. I know you're looking forward to that one. Uh, well, let's start with uh, Jesus starts, and really in each of these examples, he follows the same pattern. He starts off and says, when you, and you can kind of fill in the blank with this is the topic, or he introduces the topic he's going to talk about, and then he's going to give kind of a bad example or a funny example. He says, hey, don't pray like those dudes that are standing on the corner, acting all holy and preaching where everyone can see them, but instead go to your closet and pray. And so he gives you a, a wrong way to do it and a right way to do it, and then he talks about the reward that we receive, and we see that in both these examples. And then in this one, because it's so important, I think, Jesus stops and goes, time out. Let me also then say, here's how to pray, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to look at those negative examples, then we're going to look at how it is that he wants to pray. What's the first thing that he says? He talks about hypocritical, self-focused prayer. That's the first thing he says. He says, don't pray like them. When, he says, but um, they love to pray. That's not a bad thing, is it, to love to pray? But what we see as Jesus unpacks this a little bit is they don't really love to pray. They love to be seen praying. They love for others to notice that they're praying. They love to pray in a way that that attracts their attention. So unfortunately, this isn't prayer that they love to connect with their father. It's really self-focused prayer. Now, let me just say this. Chris Clark prayed just a few minutes ago. Like, man, Chris, what are you doing? I mean, you prayed in, in the middle of a church service. Well, that's not wrong, right? I mean, obviously, it's not wrong. We want Chris to pray. In fact, we, made a, we, we laughed about last Sunday's service. I, like, prayed two extra times that weren't in our schedule. And I'm like, man, that was really wrong of me. I prayed too much. But, uh, you know, like, you look at this, you go, what's Jesus trying to say? He's saying they, they prayed in the synagogue. They prayed on the street corners. You shouldn't do that. That's not what the point is. The point is that is really Jesus is focusing on their motive. It's not that they prayed in public. It's that they prayed with a heart that wasn't focused on God, but it was focused on themselves. And focused on others and the attention that others would give them. Now, here's what I think we have to notice. Jesus is, is giving us all a warning. What he's saying is that sin, the sinful stuff in our hearts that diverts our attention from the Lord, it clings so closely and it gets so enmeshed in everything that even when we're trying to be spiritual, we can actually be tainted. We can actually be covered in some of the, the junk of sin. And so Jesus is, is telling us to be wary of where it creeps into, even our, our religiosity. And it's easy for us to kind of mock those guys. But here's the thing. Very few of us are going to stop on a street corner and pray where everyone can notice. We don't live in a hyper-religious culture like they did in Judaism. We live in a very different world. But lest we think we're superior to those guys and kind of look down on them, uh, how easy is it for us to just post a verse online or to post a prayer online? And to do it in a way that, um, have you ever posted a verse or prayer online before you've actually stopped and prayed and had a real time with the Lord that day? Or really invested in the Word and asked the Lord to speak to you that? But you're online and you're like, oh, that's a great one. I'm going to throw that out. It's easy to slip into this, isn't it? To do things with the awareness of what others are doing uh, around us. Or maybe you've forwarded an opinion or you've spouted off a, an idea or you took an article that you saw that someone else forwarded to you and you forwarded it on and you did that before you ever stopped and said, Lord, what's your heart in this matter? 
Lord, what do you have to say about this? Lord, would you have me for this opinion or not? But you're just in a habit of like, man, I got to run on this thing of staying in front of people. And so you're continuing to run on this rat race. And I think sometimes the Lord's going, hey, you ever you want to stop and pay attention to me a little bit as you continue to run in all these ways? It's easy to pray in a group, to say the right things, to try to pridefully impress rather than humbly confess our need for a God. And there's lots of ways these things sneak up with us. But notice what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, in contrast to being praying in order to be seen, when you pray, go to your closet and hide there and pray to the God who's in secret, the God that can't be seen, the unseen God who's in heavens uh, that, that you, you can't see with your own eyes. You can go into a, into a dark corner somewhere and pray. And did you know he sees you just as well? That when no one else sees you, that the Lord can still see you. And so Jesus says, go and pray in that kind of a way, that the Lord is waiting on you, welcoming you to come. I love what John Stott says. He says, nothing destroys prayer like side glances at human spectators, but nothing so enriches prayer like a sense of the presence of God. When it's you and you're sitting with the Lord and you're communicating with him and you're talking with him and speaking with him, there's something that's real there. Now, let's be clear. Jesus isn't saying you can't pray in public. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to enter church service, stop and off door prayer. He actually commands those things. He isn't saying it's wrong to pray with other people. In fact, if you think about Jesus' life, he did these things all the time. He prayed in public a lot. He invited people to pray. Think even just of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he actually goes and gets his friends and says, hey, will you come pray with me? And then he scolds them over and over because they keep falling asleep. And he's like, can you not pray with me and support me in this at all? You know, keep praying, keep praying. And he prayed all night long. So he's not saying that there's a time limit on prayer or a setting that we can't pray. The, the, the point is not the location of where we're praying. The point is the location of our heart and the focus of our hearts and what we're paying attention to. Jesus is also not saying we shouldn't be persistent in prayer. In fact, he tells a story later of a nagging, of a widow who continues to come and just nag and beg and push and, and complain until she finally gets away. And Jesus says, that's good. Be like her. Be persistent. Don't ever give up. Don't ever lose heart in praying, but constantly come and bring your prayers to the Lord. The point is, though, that you're bringing them to the Lord and that your attention is really focused on Him. And so the contrast he's making is really uh, that prayer should be a real relationship with a real God. What is your motivation when you pray? Uh, For some of us, it's just like, I want to get out of trouble. Like, I'm, I'm in a really bad situation. I really want to get out of this. And so we start to say these things like, Lord, if you just get me out of this situation, if you just get me out of this mess, if you just get me out of this one thing, then and our focus is really on our problem, not on the person of, of our Heavenly Father. Uh, it's interesting to me when Jesus says that we should go into a room. Uh, one guy says that, that this closet oftentimes was the storeroom, and in that storeroom was a place where they would actually hide their greatest treasures. And so the things were of most value to them would be hidden in this inner storeroom. And Jesus says, go in there. And I love the image that that kind of gives us of go into that place where you put your, most great, you put your greatest possessions and your most prized possessions. And in that place, meet with the one that you prize more than any other. Meet with the one that's of greatest value to you of anything on earth. And isn't it funny what, God, what the Bible says about prayer? Any of you ever feel like prayer is just meaningless, like it's just you talking? And yet, we look at what the Scriptures say, and the Scriptures say that prayer, in prayer God restores our soul. 
God testifies with our spirit that we're loved as children of God, that God quenches our thirst, that God will meet our hunger, that God will direct our steps, that God will guide our way, that God will continue to, to enlighten us to his will and to his way and to his purposes. All these things happen, and they happen through the vehicle of prayer. And so Jesus points us to this place of prayer. But when we do, it says, don't make a show of it. God already sees everything. God can see in the dark. He can see in the hidden places. And so all you have to do is humbly come to him and just talk. You can be very clear. You can be very plain and direct with him. Uh, you don't have to make a big show. It's interesting, too, that he says that your reward is as big as your audience, right? He says, for those that are praying with it, for an audience of people, he says, you've already got your full reward. When they, when they see you and they see how spiritual you are and they go, wow, look at that guy. He's doing so well. Jesus says, that's all the reward you get. But if you pray to your heavenly father, then your heavenly father who sees you in secret praying says he will reward you. Don't you want a reward from the God of the universe? And don't you think that will be more fulfilling and more lasting than the applause of men? That's what Jesus' point is. So he talks first about the problem of the purpose of prayer, the motive. Then he's going to talk in the second example, kind of of the nature of prayer, how we pray. So the second example, he goes and talks about the Gentile. That's kind of a weird phrase for us. Uh, what he means is those who are not of God's people. So you had uh, the, the Israelites that were God's chosen people. And then in that day, Jesus, when he, when he spoke of the Gentiles, he's saying those who have not come in and called themselves God's people, but those who are of other religions, of other ways of, uh, of approaching um, the idea of God or, or trying to find God, those are those that he calls the Gentiles. So he says also, but don't pray like them. And here he's going to give us the problem of kind of this mechanical, transactional way of praying. Of praying, thinking, and so he talks about heaping up empty phrases. Empty phrases is kind of meaningless speech. It's babble. It's something that you're just throwing words out at something, thinking, well, if I go through the motions and say all the right words, then I'll get something out. So if I put a dollar's worth of prayer words in, I should get a dollar's worth of, of prayer answers back. And so there, it's kind of this, this idea of you know, going to the casino and say, like, I'm going to pull the lever and just see if I get something good. That's the idea that it has here is going to God and saying, well, I'm going to throw some prayers at all these divine beings and hope that maybe it'll fix my problems. But it's this kind of mechanical, transactional sort of a thing rather than a truly relational thing. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying here is just, dude, don't be weird. Like, you actually have to have a relationship with God, uh, the God of the universe. You can just talk to him. You don't have to be weird by going through all this, you know, churchy religiosity or spiritual babble and language and stuff trying to manipulate God and coerce God into showing up and doing the things that you want him to do for you. You don't have to try to force God's hand. Trust him. He's your heavenly father. You can simply talk to him. And you can talk to him in a very plain sort of way and in an intelligent sort of way. And so just as you can talk to your heavenly father, it's not so much focusing on the technique of your prayer or the words of your prayer. Or, uh, what he's saying is you don't have to kind of yada, yada, yada prayer as though it's just the thing that you do that somehow makes God act. But ultimately, that puts your attention on yourself, doesn't it? The technique of your praying is going to force God's hand. What Jesus says is, no, that's not the way to do it. Trust that your Father already knows the needs that you have. And so if he already knows your needs, it's not about the mechanism of you praying that's going to get your needs met. It's about the goodness of the one you're praying to that ultimately can get your needs met. And so that's what, where Jesus puts our focus. Um, notice that he starts off this prayer and he says, your father who's in heaven. He's talking to believers, those who have actually trusted 
in a heavenly father and they've come in under his care and they see him as a father that they can depend upon. And he's saying, look, don't be influenced by these other ways of just trying to pray. And here's one thing I want to say about this. I think it's, I hesitated even to talk about some of these things honestly because what I've found in our church and in our day is that we're, we're not like the hyper-religious world of the first century. But we, we tend not to pray. Uh, we tend to be hesitant to pray. That when we invite people to pray, especially in groups, everyone gets a little bit nervous. Everyone gets a little uncomfortable, like, oh, man, I'm scared I'm going to mess this thing up. And so I'm hesitant to even preach on this in this way because we just live in a very different context, a very different culture than what it is. But I think that actually hits at Jesus' point too. But Jesus says, you don't have to worry about, are you doing it all the right way? You don't have to worry about, did I position the words and use the phrasing right? And did I say that your father or my Lord or my heavenly, or did I address him properly? And it's not about the mechanism of how you do it. It's about who you're praying to and about your heart as you connect with him. And so as we think about this, I want to encourage you. It's so easy to try to take cues. And, and what I see in an in a unprayerful uh, culture is that we tend to just mimic those around us, and we tend to learn in some ways that's not all bad because prayer is in some ways more caught than taught. It's, it's kind of like learning to ride a bike. You have to do it to figure it out. But I want to encourage you not to worry so much about, am I doing this right, as you are as may my heavenly Father is worthy of me coming to talk to, and he can meet my needs. He's aware of my needs. So I'm, there should be a sense of freedom, like a child going to his father. And what's important is that we trust him with everything in our lives. Now, in both these examples, you notice the problem is that they were both man-centered. The first one is man-centered, I'm praying for everyone else's attention. The other is man-centered, that I'm obsessed with my own mechanics and the way I'm doing things. And both of what Jesus is going to say then is instead pray like this our Father, and he immediately directs our attention elsewhere. And it's a God-centered prayer that he pushes us to. Friends, here's what we have to understand about prayer. When you start off with our Father knows what you need before you ask him, that should reorient your perspective. That, that should reorient our lives uh, toward the real God to remember what kind of being he is, to remember that he is all-powerful, that he is personal, that he is good, that he can be trusted, that he already knows your needs, and so you can come freely and bring those things to him. And when we understand that and when we approach things that way, do you see how that's going to shift your heart and shift the content of your prayers? That, that's what Jesus is ultimately going to push us to. And ultimately, it's why God's concerns have to come first, right? When, when I say God's concerns come first, and we're going to talk in just a second about the priority of our Heavenly Father. See, our, our Heavenly Father is the one that has to come first. Not because our needs are, don't matter. Our needs are secondary to the priority of knowing God. But because our needs get met, because there is a God who is first, a God who is above, a God who is greater than we are. So it's, it's fascinating to me when Jesus starts this, and he starts off and he says, he talks about the priority of a heavenly father. And so when he begins to give his model of prayer and says, in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. He's going to give us a model, an example. This is the way in which we pray. He's not going to say this is the only way to pray, but this is a model, an example of how we should pray. And he's going to then move into this thing we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's going to focus on both the God we're praying to, but also it shifts our heart and the heart with which we, that we pray with. But notice it starts with God. Um, do you remember, any of you remember the old tin can phones? Any of you make any of those when you're little? Um, 
I never thought those worked. I never got it. But just to give a picture, part of what I think Jesus wants us to understand when he begins his prayer with our Father in heaven is that it's like taking a tin can phone and putting it, uh, putting it to, to your mouth or to your ear and stretching the other end all the way to the heavens and God the Father is listening in to, to the other side. That, that somehow, uh, that, that when you pray to our Father in heaven, it connects you to the God of the universe. And heaven isn't just a place. Heaven is the place where God is. Heaven is wherever God is personally. And so you have a connection directly to the ear of the creator of the universe. That's the idea that you begin the prayer with. And when Jesus starts and he says, our Father in heaven, what he's saying is he's transcendent. He's above us. He's greater than us. He sees more than us. He's more powerful than us. He's more holy than us. And he's kinder and more compassionate than we are. This is the God that we pray to. So it's our Father in the heavens. Our Father who's in the place where all things are as they should be. Our Father who's in the place where he can see all things. Our Father who's in the place where he can fix all things. You have a, you have a direct line to him connecting to you. And you can talk to him. So it's our Father in heaven. But he's also our Father in heaven. So in that heavenly place where everything's superior and transcendent above you, there's a father who kneels down and says, hey, little man, come tell me what's going on. Like a daddy who cares about you. So there's transcendence, but there's also this kind of eminence and personal side that's there. And somehow prayer unites those two things and brings them together in a miraculous way. And what an incredible privilege of approaching an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good being with the tiniest needs in your life. We ought to be in awe of the fact that we get to do that and that we have a line connecting us to him. We're not going to be put on hold. Uh, any of you have to call pharmacy during COVID and try to figure anything out? Like you call and it's like you get 18 things. They're like, do you want this? Press one. Do you want this? Press two. Do you want this? Press three. And then my wife was telling me the other day that she literally did one of those, got on hold. And was like, I guess I'll just drive up there. She drove up there, kept her phone on the whole time. 46 minutes later, she was still on hold and she got there and it was, it was closed. Heaven doesn't ever do that. Your line to the Lord doesn't ever go, what's your need? One, two, three. And redirect you to someone else. Your lion doesn't ever just put you on hold. You don't ever get there and find that it's closed. And he's like, oh, not here. I'm out right now. Um, God's always ready to listen to us. And so uh, when we think about this, uh, kind of where Jesus goes with this, you notice there's three God-focused requests that, that Jesus begins his prayer with. So he says, our Father is in heaven, and he's going to give us three lines. And he says, your name be hallowed, or hallowed be your name. Your name be honored. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Uh, those three things really are all the same thing. That if God's name is honored, if his kingdom's come, his will's going to be done. And they all sort of go together. And Jesus says, this is what we're to pray for. In a sense, we're praying about the same things. That God's plans for the flourishing of all people would come to fruition. God, would, would you make everything as good as it is in heaven? Will you make it like that on earth? Will you make things right again so that we can live as you intended us to live? Friends, do you get frustrated with the state of the world? Do you get concerned about the direction of the philosophies that are being taught in our world? Do you get frustrated or nervous about uh, what our world says about marriage and sexuality or what our world says uh, about the sanctity of life and the beauty of each individual, the, the care of different races? 
Do you, do you get nervous about any of these things? Because we probably should, because our world's a mess. And we don't do things the way they ought to be done. And whichever solution we try to find, it's not as good as God's solution. And so God says, or Jesus says, we're to come to him and pray to our Father who is in heaven. Your name be honored. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because it's gonna, he's going to have better answers than any of the ones we come up with. And followers of Jesus are those who are waiting for the day when Jesus comes, when the Lord comes and makes all things new and makes all things right. So let's take those three things. First, your name be hallowed. Uh, we, don't, we don't hallow things a lot in our world. Uh, any, when's the last time you guys hallowed something? You may have done it, you just didn't realize it. But to hallow just means to set apart or to sanctify, to honor, to, to lift up or exalt something. And we do that all the time. We just use different language for it. But the American church, here, here's what I, what I want to say about the American church is we, we oftentimes don't hallow very well because we're constantly bringing God down and making him more like us. And so, so often we're stuck in a place of making God kind of this, uh, this gentle teddy bear that we're supposed to snuggle up against or this genie that answers all of our prayers and does, gives us whatever we want. But biblically, God's much bigger than that. Um, God is much stronger stronger than that. So hang in with me here for just a few moments. I want to remind you of, who's, uh, of, the, of the God that we actually are called to exalt his name. This is God who spoke and stars appeared. I didn't take this picture, by the way. This is Hubble, Hubble telescope, uh, or um, satellite and pictures that, that were sent back. Um, actually, it's a telescope, isn't it? Um, but as you look at these stars, this is the God who spoke. And do you know we're still discovering stars? We can't number them and we can't name them. And the further we get out in space and the more we get, the more blown away we are by what more is out there. And God spoke and put, hung the stars in the universe. Um, in addition, as you think about that, um, I will say this. I did take these next pictures, um, or one of us did. Uh, God did create the oceans. You know, God spoke and said that he delineated the markers between land and seas. He, he caused the, the land to rise up and the waters to flow. And he put a moon in orbit around the earth so that those, those seas would, would ebb and flow with the tides. Is that not amazing to think about? Um, and, and God created animals and he filled the earth and he filled the seas with creativity greater than Michelangelo or Rodin. And, and he put these things there that blow our minds that we run out and we see and you pull out a, you pull out a phone and you're like, picture, 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 I'll never get this moment back. It's so beautiful. And you want to hold on to it. God created that and he sustains the life of that. God sends rainbows to remind us of his sovereign care over all things in the universe. Do you feel how big he is? And he listens to your prayers. And he knows you, and he knows the number of hairs on your head. And he knows the needs that you have before you ever speak them. That's why we say, hallowed be your name. And we honor him, and we lift him up, and we exalt him. May the God who created all things be lifted up with honor. Friends, we don't really know how to honor things much in our world, do we? Um, I think one of the best pictures I saw of this was actually at my father-in-law's funeral. And I want to share a picture from that. But he was buried at one of the um, national cemeteries with a military burial. And when you get there, there's something about that setting. There's something about the quiet. There's something about 
uh, big dudes in uniforms with guns that give it a weightiness. And as we were there and as we're watching, my father-in-law's name be honored because of his service by these other men who are serving their country. And there's a camaraderie in that. And there's a sense of they wanted to acknowledge what he had done. And so as they did, um, as I watched their salute, as I watched them fold a flag, as I watched them kneel before each member of my family and hand over a flag in the honor of my father-in-law, there was something that was beautiful that was also weighty. There was something that was also reverent about that. And friends, when we approach the Lord, when we say, hallowed be his name, honored be the name of the Lord, it's a million times greater than that because he deserves our honor a million times over and even more than that. So friends, there ought to be this sense of weightiness and awe, and, and awe when we come into the presence of the Lord and when we come to pray. And so Jesus starts a prayer, says, Our Father who's in the heavens, honored be your name above every other name. That means that, means that he's above Switzer and Stoops and Riley and Gundy. That means he's above Bono and Bieber and Swift. Uh, that means he's above Bush and Obama and Trump and uh, Biden. Uh, any name you want to throw out in our world, his name is above, infinitely, all those names and deserves to be honored above them all. So hallowed be your name, he starts. See, then he goes, your kingdom come. Since your kingdom come, he's talking about God's royal rule in the universe, that, that he reigns over all things as the sovereign over all things. And, and so Jesus came, comes to break into our world with the kingdom rule of God. And what we're acknowledging here is that my heart is not my king. My desires, my wishes, my wants are not the king of the universe, but there's another king that I submit myself to, and he ultimately is the kingdom that I need to come in order to penetrate my heart, but also to penetrate my world. I need him to change who I am and what's going on in here so that I look different, but I need him also, and I'm praying, God, would your kingdom come, that more people would see you for who you are, that more people would honor your name, that more people would yield and kneel before you as their king and the ruler, their ruler and their Lord. But that's ultimately what that prayer is about, that you're, you're praying that God would bring more people to yield to and surrender to his lordship and his kingship. And that, that would make our world a better place. And that's very close to the next one where he says, your will be done. And when you pray, God, your will be done, it's kind of, uh, it's funny, you're saying, God, I'm asking you to make your will more, uh, flourish more on earth. Uh, and so you're seeking him and asking him to do that, that he would complete the accomplishment of his will. So that there'd be no more rebellion against the way he's made us, no more rebellion against his word, no more rebellion against the way in which he's crafted men and women and caused them to flourish in the universe but that we yield to that and surrender to that, that God's ways would be done openly, clearly, freely, that we wouldn't hedge our bets, that we'd stop hesitating, that we'd stop worrying about, am I missing out if I do what God asked me to do, but that we would fully be confident that God's way is the best way and that I would want what God wants, not just for me, but for our world. I'm less of my little name, my little empire, my little will, more of his name, his kingdom, his will. That's what Jesus, where he starts this prayer, and he sums it up with on earth as it is in heaven. And there are so many things in our world that press in upon us and call us and try to conform us to the way of the world, to the will of the world, to a different way of living. And yet this is an invitation that says, no, it calls for our world to be conformed to the will of God because that's when humans are going to be at their best, and that's when goodness will truly flourish. 
So we got those three God-centered requests. Let's flip and go the other way now. Let's look at kind of the provision of our earthly needs. Um, really, the next three lines, Jesus talks about our needs and kind of what, uh, what uh, our, our dependence upon him to meet those needs. And so he talks about really humble prayers of daily dependence on God. And these three lines really hit everything in our life, the physical needs, our spiritual needs, our moral or ethical needs. And he's going to give us one example of each of these. And so this ought to remind us of the Beatitudes and the approach of life that Jesus has been teaching all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, these aren't self-sufficient, self, kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, I can do all things um, sort of prayers. These are prayers of dependence upon God's grace and upon his goodness for, for us and, con, um, and confessing our need for him. Can I be honest with you about my own heart a little bit? Like, this is hard for me. I don't really like daily dependence. And I... I'm an achiever, I'm a planner, I'm a doer, I want to see us win something. And so I like to say, man, how do we position everything in my day to make sure that we get to the next, uh, the next finish line, the next goal, the next thing? I, I like to work in that sort of way, and it's not that planning is bad, but there is a, a humility to this that just says, I have to come today and say, Lord, would you just meet my needs today? Would, would, you, would you meet me where I am right now in this moment? And so I have to trust, for, trust his daily provision. But it's an important acknowledgement that we all need, isn't it? And Jesus says, go ahead and just turn to your heavenly Father that you can trust the all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing one, and just tell him your needs. And you can simply state them. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. And there's something in the experience of our praying. You remember what Jesus said just a little bit ago? He says, your Father already knows your needs. So it's not like I'm informing him of something, right? It's not like he's like, oh, you needed bread. I had no idea. Right? I mean, he already knew our needs, but there's something about me expressing that need to him that shapes my heart, that I need to come to him in dependence and trust him, and that shapes who I am. So we come and pray for daily bread. Um, and really, we're just talking about day-to-day dependence on our, for our immediate needs, and really, it could be anything. We, we come to him and we pray for, for our food, we pray for our house, we pray for our bills to be paid, we pray for a spouse, we pray for kids, we pray for, uh, we, we pray for trouble at work, we pray for all the normal things that we're experiencing in life. He says, come and bring those daily needs to him day by day, moment by moment, and trust him. And so we can pray in that kind of a way. The next one he goes, uh, we're, we're daily dependent for food, but we're also daily dependent for forgiveness. Do you realize that you need daily forgiveness just as badly as you need daily bread? As bad as you need the next meal, you need to be forgiven. Can I just say that ought to be freeing for you? Um, Any of you stub your toe this week somewhere and just go out of your mind and lose it? Any of you ever have those days when something happens and you just you, you just react as though you don't believe there's a God in the universe at all and everything's under your control and you just are so upset with anxiety that you're just spinning out of control? Any of you run to something and medicate something trying to meet a need instead of going to the Lord and allowing him to meet that need? So we do all these things and sin clings so closely to us that God, Jesus tells us, you have to come every day and, and there's forgiveness waiting for you. Just come and bring those needs to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And you notice he talks about it in terms of debts. In an honor-shame culture, they often talked about when you sinned against someone, you dishonored them, and so you stole some of the honor or the glory that was in their person. 
And so they were at a deficit, and you had to restore that and, and put it back in. And so sometimes we see that word debts that's used, and uh, it's used for sins and transgressions. And in some sense, he says, forgive, their, forgive us our debts, meaning what I've done that's wrong to you. And so we've wronged the Lord, and we've stolen his honor and his glory. We need, to, we need to confess that. And when we do, he promises that that sin is then forgiven, and that shame is removed, and we can, we can be forgiven. I don't have time to talk a whole lot about this next section, but then he adds this thing and says, just as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. And he goes around in verses 14 and 15, and he actually expands on that. And, and it looks there like it's conditional. Like if you don't forgive everyone perfectly, you're not going to be forgiven. And that really isn't the point of what Jesus is trying to say. What Jesus is saying is forgiven people forgive people. That when you understand your debt to the Heavenly Father that's been forgiven of you, then there's no reason you would ever hold someone else accountable for the debt they've forgiven, they, that they've sinned against you. Uh, simply, if you've tasted grace, you're going to give grace uh, to someone else. Jesus gives a parable later in uh, the Gospel of Luke where he talks about this, and uh, uh, a master comes and forgives someone this incredible mound of debt, and whenever he's forgiven this whole thing, then this little guy goes over, and someone sins against him this much, and he's like, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And the master looks at him and goes, dude, I forgave you this and you're going to get angry about this guy sinning against you this much, uh, somehow you're not seeing the full picture here, right? And so if you've been forgiven everything by a heavenly Father who's holy and you've sinned against him, surely we can forgive one another. But it tells you the priority Jesus puts on relationships to put that in um, to this sermon. So we depend on God for our daily bread. We depend on him for our daily forgiveness. We also depend on him to deliver us from evil. And so the last one, when you see, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we know from elsewhere, James and other places, that God never tempts us to, to sin. He doesn't tempt us to do that's wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, uh, rather than us being led into temptation, God, would you deliver us from that into a better way? And really, the prayer is that we would overcome temptation. There's something implicit there that says, you and I need God's help. That sin has such a hold on us, and we're such a slave to its tyranny. We need God to free us from that temptation, and it's ever-present, and it's ever-ready there for us. And the evil one is constantly going to put it before us and push us in the direction of sin. And what he's saying is, come to your heavenly Father who sees all things, who knows all things, who can fix all things, and he will help you in the middle of your temptation to turn you if you come to him. And the devil is the one who tempts us and twists our desires in the wrong way, not the Lord. But there's a promise that God will help us so you see, do you see how we can come to him with any need? You can come to him with your material needs. You can come to him with your spiritual needs. You can come to him with any moral, ethical dilemma you have. And God will be there to help. And I love that there's kind of a Trinitarian connection here. Uh, that the Father's creation and provision gives us life. The Son's atonement brings us forgiveness. And the Spirit's empowerment helps uh, deliver us from the temptation to sin. There's a direction that's there. So how do, we, how do we approach this passage to our lives? And Sky, I just ask you a question. How's your walk with the Lord? How's your closeness to him? Do you need a restart? Do you need a reboot? Do you need to step back and say, and I just, I feel disconnected right now. And I need to, I need to in prayer, move to the Lord. And I need, I need to not, focus so much on everything going on around me and not focus so much on myself. But I need to reconnect myself to the, our, my Father who's in the heavens. Um, have you ever 
been on a street corner and you see a semi that flies past you at 70 miles an hour and you just feel that, that wave of air that just goes whoosh. Or maybe you're on the highway and you're in a car and you feel that push of that giant vehicle speeding past you. I mean, it's pretty intimidating, isn't it? Have you ever seen that same kind of a vehicle from 35,000 feet in an airplane? Doesn't look nearly as frightening, does it? So what happens in our lives is when we get down and we look at ourselves and we look at those around us and we look at our problems and we pull a magnifying glass out and we start to look at it, they just start to look really big. And it can get really overwhelming. And so Jesus says, stop. Stop obsessing about this stuff. But look at our Father who's in the heavens and know that the one who's up here, the one who created it all, the one who made it all, the one who sustains it all, the one who, he, he sees the details of your life even when you're in the dark, quiet places. You can trust him. Let that bring perspective to your problems and then take those problems and say, Lord, would you help me with this, this little thing down here? Because it feels really big to me. But when I see who you are, I know I can trust you with this. And your Father in heaven will meet you there. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask that you would meet us in the quiet places of our hearts even now. And Father, even as we're in a room right now that's full and it's easy to get distracted by the things around us. And, um, Father, I pray that you'd help me and my friends here to, to sincerely just stop and to ask about our um, connection with you, Father. Father, would you through your spirit, would you speak to our hearts and show us where we've pulled back, where we've disconnected, show us the things that have disrupted our relationship with you. And Father, would you, would you exalt your name in our hearts? Would you bring your kingdom in our hearts? Would you um, cause us to, to desire your will in our hearts, even now? Uh, Father, and would you make it so in our world and in our city that things would be on earth as they are in heaven, that they would be in Edmond as they are in heaven, that you might cause us to flourish as, um, as we may under your, under your care. Father, be to us now a father who's greater than anything we can imagine. We pray it for your sake. Amen.